With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pod. Welcome to Football Another Efforts. I didn't even do wow. it. You know what? You know what? Wow. He just let me win. It's like when you let your little brother win. That's First bullshit. First time it's ever Welcome happened. to yeah. Football Another Efforts, the only Titan-centric podcast proven to effectively treat hepatitis. I am your host, mm-hmm. Mr. Lebowski. As always, I am joined by co-host and producer, Zach Lyons, and our own in-house data analyst and Music City Miracles author, Michael Herndon. Gentlemen, how is we doing? a little strong. Is it is do we prevent <laughs> hepatitis because it, it makes no woman want to have sex with you to listen to this it podcast? Af- it effective <laughs> notice what my words it effectively treats. I did no. not I did not promise a cure. That's true. <laughs> it just effectively treats. Just it. effectively treats. I mean, it is a treat. You ever <laughs> notice that with with uh with medical commercial? I actually pulled one up on the internet before I wrote that line because I wanted it to sound a little more authentic. <laughs> and that's how all of those dumb medication commercials are. It's effectively treats the hell does that mean what are our side effects <laughs> god i don't know we have very terrible side effects anal fissures drinking yeah. loss of marriage liver failure <laughs> gain of marriage yeah. loss of that marriage yeah but uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get to a few things today later on in the podcast we are going to have an interview with mr bobby peters author of the 2018 tennessee titans passing index i love the little book that he just put out so we'll get to bobby here in a little while First, I want to get into a few things that have happened this week because it is early June. And how excited are we about OTA talk in the, the first week of most June? Most excited. What are you talking about? Loves Let's go. OTA talk. Right? OTAs. I mean, this is exactly why you have tuned into this podcast right now because everyone is thinking, my God, what is the Football and Other Efforts podcast <laughs> going to bring us on the first? What? No, are we in the third week of OTAs now? Second week? First week of OTAs, uh, but second or third three. week of like training off season. Yeah, and, I think this is this, the third week of phase three. So this and is NFL, the last before NFL minicamp start next week. Uh, yeah, mandatory minicamp. So it's next week OTA mm-hmm. mandatory minicamp, then a break, and then a break, and then training camp, and then right into training camp. All right. That has been your education for the day. Thank you for tuning in. (laughs) But in all seriousness, first thing I want to get to Travis Haney over the athletic show favorite. That's right. I said favorite. Suck it, Buck. (laughs) Dropped a piece. We're going to get a text. Yeah, Yeah. we're going to get a text. And I can't wait. Uh, Travis Haney dropped a piece on the athletic Monday about Adam Humphreys. Um, How he went from an overlooked uh, recruit to one of the NFL's most coveted wide receivers. The article, um, it, it's fantastic if you haven't read it yet. It covers Adam going from being undrafted in 2015 to the possibility of him dropping football for basketball his sophomore year to, of course, the Titans battling out the Patriots this year in free agency 
Mike, have you read the article? I have, and I I loved it. And not just because Travis is a friend of the show. It was legitimately, I think, the best Titans piece that I've read this summer. Whoa, uh, even better. Now, Travis has written two good pieces, this piece has. and... The John Robinson The, the John piece Robinson really piece was my piece favorite. Was so you think this is better than the John Robinson I piece? I think it was. I, I, I think it was. That one was good, too, but... The the thing I loved about the Humphreys piece, I mean, it it really tells an incredible story. Humphreys story is fantastic. Going from a guy that was thought he was going to be a basketball player in high school and was basically overlooked like the coach, the high school coach talking about how he was literally having to beg colleges to come look at Humphreys as a receiver because his teammate, I guess, uh, Sharon Peak who was a like high, really highly touted recruit at wide receiver, was a high school teammate of Humphreys. He also ended up going to Clemson. Um, but yeah, it, it's an incredible story that he ended up even getting a scholarship offer from Clemson because he was a two-star recruit. I mean, nothing like he, he's, you know, a 5'11 white dude who was skinny and like, I mean, teams, he was playing corner then too. It wasn't even like he was a, a wide receiver First, he was mainly a corner, and then they saw the you know I think uh, what's the guy's name Jeff Scott, the receiver coach for Clemson, and Chad Morris, who was the offensive coordinator at the time, saw some potential and brought him on. And I mean, he had a pretty successful college career, and then again gets overlooked going into the NFL for you know all sorts of other prospects and makes the bucks. And now he's one of the what thirty most high paid receivers in the world. It's a pretty incredible story. Uh, let me. I, I thought it was an incredible story, but I think everybody took the wrong thing from it. Oh, absolutely! And and I tweeted it out yesterday, and not sure who in the room actually follows me and it retweets it. I don't. And everything. I don't. Well, I don't even yeah. follow our own. Do podcast. you have a Twitter? I have a Twitter. Oh, okay. Uh, the <laughs> um. Everybody's taking away the the Tom Brady quote and him saying that and then him agreeing to come here where we kind of have a questionable quarterback situation. Everybody th- has, has deemed it as a statement that J-Rob has told him that Marcus is going to be here no matter what and for the long haul, the full term of his contract. And that's what people are taking it well, as. Well, they're taking that or they're taking that Adam Humphreys thinks Mariota is better than Tom Brady, which is what all the New England people are out there. Oh, my God, I can't believe he picked Mariota over Tom Brady. Like, I mean, that's what this whole thing has devolved into is that one quote about the quarterback, which was layered in, like, a long list of reasons why he chose the Titans. Yeah. I mean, mean, yes, J-Rob is going to tell him. his J-Rob's job is to sell the Titans, right? That's your job as a GM, and it's not really lying when you say, "Yeah, weeks we we are we are expecting Marcus to be here all four years. We're not going to be moving on from Marcus." But what you don't know is that there's going to be a lot of little caveats to that, and one of them is going to be if Marcus misses seven seven games, he's not getting a huge second contract. Now, whether that means that he gets a second contract and comes and hangs out with the Titans anyway, but you don't invest money in it. I mean, don't don't you all think that people are taking the J-Rob thing a little too far? Yeah, I, I certainly don't think he promised Adam Humphreys that Mariota is going to be here for a long time. I, I think, for one, I, I think that, like we talked about, that one quote has been blown out of context because that's the one piece that everyone has picked out of this 
really long and great story right. and has focused on and has ignored the entire context around it, which was that he thought, you know, he didn't know how long Brady was going to play, but also the fact that he had already committed to coming and playing for the Titans. He wanted to honor his word. He was excited about the fact that Nashville is only like a five hour drive from his you know, home and his family in South Carolina. So friends and family can drive up for you know weekend games and don't have to fly and, and do all that mess. So, I mean, there was a lot of aspects to it. Um, and also the fact that he had a relationship with John Robinson to begin with. John Robinson was one of the guys that helped pick him out of the Bucks, you know, rookie undrafted tryout uh, and give him his first opportunity. I, I think there's so much more than, oh, he thinks Brady's better than Mario. If you want to read, I mean, if you want to read into a part of it, I think you read into the part of not necessarily that Tom Brady's getting ready to fall apart, but that Humphrey stuck to his word and then doubled down on that. He passed up what is probably a good chance. I'd say over a 60% chance of him grabbing a, a, a relatively easy ring this year, because if nothing else, we learned last year and most of us should have learned from years past. You don't ever count the Patriots out. And he very easily could have gone to a system that very easily could have ended up in the Super Bowl again this year. So I, I think if you want to read into a part, you read into that. I, I'm impressed by it. I, I think uh, I, I just don't. It, it really drives me nuts with fans always reading into different sides of it. But then again, if fans didn't read into shit too much with football, we wouldn't be having a podcast about our own damn team. That so the so talking about the easy ring and this isn't in the rundown, but I kind of want to talk about this uh, tweet that was sent out a couple uh, weeks ago about the NBA draft and having a draft lottery. And then, oh, yeah. and then DeMar Smith coming out and, warning players you know save up your money and all this stuff and that prompted people to say well why don't they just have a salary cap like the nba and stuff what do you all think about those two comparisons of the nba versus the nfl and i because i think both absolutely hurt the league more than anything the, if they went to no salary cap and if they went to a draft lottery it would just utterly destroy the watchability of the nfl I don't like the idea of a draft lottery. I, I do think it would be fun. Like the NBA draft lottery is fun. It gives the media a week's worth of content to cover about uh, these are the percentages for these teams. What are the chances that they get in and who's the top pick if they do? You know, it gives you all sorts of content, which is great for, you know, anybody that's in, in the media or, or likes reading that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, think about it from this perspective. For one, I think you don't see a whole lot of tanking in the NFL as it stands right now. And I think a big part of that is the fact that, you know, there's only generally by the time you get down to like week 16, week 17, there's maybe two teams that have a chance at getting the number one pick, you know, in the NBA, you know, you're eliminated by like, you know, game 60. And if you're out of the playoffs, I mean, there's no point you, you can rest your guys and come off and, you know, try to get that number one pick because the number one picks hugely valuable um, or improving your odds to get the number one pick is hugely valuable. The, in the NFL, it's one, there's not as many games to tank. And then two, if you can't get the number one pick, what's the difference between getting like the sixth pick and the seventh pick? It's not huge. I mean, maybe you miss out on a guy, but I mean, most of the time, most people don't know who the sixth and seventh picks are going to be, you know, at that point of the season. But so, and, so and I'll make this point, then I'll move on to my kind of question and thought on this. 
with the NBA lottery, wouldn't the NBA lottery be even more intriguing if it were an hour before the draft? <laughs> that would be pretty I, amazing. I, I don't see why they don't do that. I, I'm serious. I mean, maybe not an hour, but it should be the same day. Yeah. To where the team knows who, who they're getting. They know where their lottery spot sits. And then you immediately have to go into the draft. I, it doesn't make any sense to me why the NBA has the NBA lottery right in the middle of leading up to the finals. Like well, I, I, I didn't even I, know that the NBA had a combine until this this year. <laughs> I, I mean, I and then I that. saw it. I was at a bar and I saw it. And I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't even know that until you literally just said yeah. it. <laughs> I, well, I, I mean, their the marketability reason. for offseason stuff is not on par with the NFL and how they promote it and stuff. I feel like I think the reason that they do the lottery before is because they want the teams to be able to scout knowing and they want people to be able to trade because I mean, it promotes more trades okay. if you know, you have time to negotiate and figure out, all right, we really like this guy. Where's he going to be? Can we move up and, and get him and stuff like that? And fair enough. Yeah. But I'll say this. Are we really look at the NFL product as a whole? Are we really that upset with how the NFL handles offseason draft free agency? That's no. I, I'm not. I, I wish it was a little best thing they've got going. Yeah, I wish it was a little. Um, I wish stuff was a little bit more quick. I wish something was right after the Super Bowl that, you know, free agency was maybe before the combine or something like that. Yeah, it's um. It's a long wait to free agency. That I think that's my big thing is the the wait to free agency yeah. is so like so long. A month and a half ish sure. after the right. Super Bowl. Um, the here's the here's the one argument I can make that completely destroys me ever wanting a lottery system for the NFL. Remember when the Titans were two and fourteen and three and thirteen? Can you imagine the devastation we would have felt if we had to suffer through that two and fourteen slog? And then it didn't end up getting a one or two pick. Like if we dropped down to five because some damn lottery balls no, bounced I'm, out wrong, I would be livid absolutely. as a fan. Like, I mean, in some you know team like whoever finished right outside the lottery, like the Titans last year. Like if we just jumped up ahead of the Cardinals who suffered through a you know a god awful football season, and we were like, oh hey, we've got the number one pick now. Yeah. Like. How shitty would that feel? Like that would disillusion there's, so many fans. There's a reason why the NFL's king of the ratings, too. Yeah. I mean, it's because of the parody and everything. It's it, you know, I don't really care about the NBA for the whole regular season, and it lately, just because of its Golden State Warriors every year, kind of like it was LeBron every year, I kind of lose interest in it. I mean, the Toronto Raptors are making it fun, but I'm sure they're about to lo- go on a big losing streak and yeah. just shit the bed. And the teams who have been really really bad in the nba for a long time have been that way for a very very long it took time the 76ers just, forever I, to pull out I, and be competitive i'm yeah. not i'm not interested in seeing the nfl switch to a model that to me promotes tanking because yeah. going back to what your point you were making mike uh, along the lines of People always say, well, it only takes a team getting hot at the right time to go to the playoffs in the NFL. There's a lot of truth behind that. Also, because if you get to the top of your division, you can get in the playoffs Mm -hmm. and you can end up in some shit divisions. AFC South has been a notorious (laughs) shit division for a long time. You can suddenly turn around with a really bad start to the season 
hook a few games in a row, beat up a couple of division opponents, and all of a sudden now you're at the top of the division. You're not worrying about a wild card. And I like that setup. I don't think yeah. what the NFL has. I don't think the NFL needs to fuck with any of it, yeah. just yeah. to be honest. Now, do we want to talk about the 18 game season deal? And, oh, and I yeah, let's, let's let's touch on that, because I'll start us off. I, I, I think it's bullshit for this reason. Don't come at me with player safety and then turn around and say you're going to play 18 games. Fuck off with that. Now, I'll, I'll say this. I I understand that this will never, ever happen because the owners would lose money. And that's that's just a that's a non-starter. But is the best schedule within the NFL's current time frame, not a 17 game season? where you eliminate one of the preseason games and no you eliminate two of the preseason games so you have uh two preseason games 17 regular season games and you have one extra bye week so each team gets two bye weeks within a whatever it is 18 18 week regular season schedule so or i guess it would have to be one more but whatever so but you have two bye weeks, so each team gets like a third of the way bye week and a two thirds of the way bye week. It allows, for one, it, it could end up making you a little bit more money because you get more games, more weeks to broadcast. So yeah. your broadcast rights will actually well, go up. And your ticket prices for regular season games are also more expensive than preseason games. And t- not t- the way they sell them, though. The NFL is no. It? They sell them like the way they sell them to direct to fans is. You, you pay the exact same face value really? that you do for regular season games for preseason games. Oh. That's, that's, of, yeah, pretty that's, 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 bullshit. that's utter bullshit. Yeah. Utter, it's a complete cash grab. Yeah. And I mean, I think I think your broadcast rights could become more valuable. You know, obviously sure. you have to wait till the next TV deal is up to, to reap that benefit. But you're getting 18 weeks, basically, of regular se- regular season action um or well 19 weeks actually because yeah that's that's the thing you would have to add one more week to get the extra bye week but you get 19 weeks of regular season action you know that team will have two weeks off but it's not like nfl fans don't watch football when their team has a bye most nfl fans most nfl fans will still they'll take that week and relax and tune into games that are in their division or i'm always into, watching red zone like i, I love actually the titans bye week because that's like yeah. the one week where i'm not like stressed about or that what are the titans gonna do i can sit back and watch some other games and actually enjoy it and get you know shit face if i want to to <laughs> you know just bask in the football of glory, course you know so I will say this, and I'll, I'll combine it with a little bit of an arg- another argument. I, of course, the comment I'm making at the beginning is a little facetious. I, the player safety thing, it always jerks my chain when the NFL comes with that. However, would I want more NFL games? Sure. But really, what I ultimately want to see is a reduction in preseason games. Yeah, right. Um, I really think you do this. One of them is a little inconsequential. It's just my personal feelings. Reduce it to two preseason games. If you want to add a regular extra season, you know, a, a, a an extra regular season game, go for it. I say you take the Hall of Fame game, move it to the end of the season and combine it with the Pro Bowl and make the Pro Bowl more of a skills challenge, an actual fun skills skills challenge, not play people playing dodgeball for two minutes. Like if you're going to have, have them play dodgeball, make it a little more lengthy. Bring back the old Pro Bowls of the 90s where 
They were having the longest field goal competition, throwing footballs through moving tires and targets, stuff like that. But add the Hall of Fame game onto that, make the Pro Bowl and Hall of Fame game the same time. You give Hall of Famers a trip to wherever in God's name they're going, do the whole ceremony and do NFL awards around then, too. Um, so combine it into one big conglomerate, give us an extra regular season game. But ultimately, I I just want I, I just don't want to pay or be expected to pay full price to go to a preseason yeah, game. It's Th- garbage. That's bullshit. Yeah. That's that's I mean, the easiest way to keep me out of that stadium for a preseason game. That fourth preseason game is utterly reprehensible yes. i mean it is horrific to watch and i love football like i i i watch every preseason game and that four se- you're a better man than i am i is, can't make it through them is the only game where i'm sitting there at the end of it and i'm like good god please let this in can we not play with a running clock like nobody even gives a shit to be out here anymore besides robert spillane out there just spilling heads <laughs> all right so i'm gonna switch gears let's move on to Something that no Titans fan wanted to see this week. <laughs> AJ Brown in OTAs uh, pulls up, leaves the field, holding his hammy. Everyone held their breath, right? So, oh my god, I think we were in the middle of a conversation, yeah, and yeah. I just go, "Oh my god, <laughs> I so, cannot believe it." AJ Brown tweeted out, uh, and then he deleted uh, the tweet that said he dodged a bullet. Um, first off, let's go into that. Why do you think he deleted the tweet? I, I've been trying to figure that out because I don't know if it's okay, the team didn't want him tweeting something out that was, like, about his injury. I think that's it. Yeah, I, that's kind of... But, but didn't he then come back with, like, a was, hand thumbs-up emojis or it something? It was two emojis, but I guess it was a little bit more vague. It Do you was, think it's the I, bullet comment? Do you I, think I, it, That's the other thing. That's the other thing I could see. No, I don't think it's the bullet comment. I think it's this, because Paula tweeted out yesterday that the team was waiting on an evaluation. We would know more information today, which by the way, do we get more information today? I don't think so. Uh, Not that I I know of. Yeah. (laughs) But I think that's it. I I don't think the team wanted him tweeting out something about an injury. And then he says he dodged a bullet. And then God forbid they go through whatever eval he went through. And it turns out to be an issue where he's going to be out because then a, you get the media hounding you and then B, I don't know. Do you get in trouble with the NFL? If, some shit like that comes out probably not this time of year because it doesn't affect gambling um (laughs) if you're gambling on otas you're a real sick bastard but you're also really good really like in our demographic i mean at at this point i'm assuming everything's okay it just titans and wide receivers and hamstrings i just don't ever want to hear that combination injuries lately man it's just it's for the past 10 years just feels like it's a constant struggle to to get through the offseason healthy why hammies well a lot of it is conditioning with hamstrings um and not that i think aj brown is out of shape or anything like that but part of the problem with rookies and especially rookies at skill positions like that is they they do not do football training at all from the end of their final season in college until they get drafted and and arrive at their team. So they've got like three or four months where they're basically doing track practice. I mean, they are training for the combine and it's very different type of training than it is, you know, actually getting ready for a football season and conditioning your body to be ready for that. And in AJ's defense, he came from an old Miss offense that was either dropping the ball right in the pocket or he's having to chase a ball that's 20 yards (laughs) over his head. So I get it. And, 
I mean, it's it's a tweaked hamstring. It, it's not. It it did not look like it. It should be something that keeps him out. Oh like a training boy, camp. yeah. And then and then I tell you, Corey Davis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it could. We hope. Obviously, Davis has happened in training camp. Right? It was, oh, or was man, it? I don't know. I want to say that it happened earlier before training camp. Maybe it was. Because he kept re-aggravating it in training camp. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that was part of Koharski's argument of there were X, Y, and Z players that were not in practice. And one of the ones that I feel like he kept hyping on, and correct me if I'm wrong, is where's Corey Davis? With me? Uh, <laughs> this yeah. hamstring, is it good? Is it not? So the, uh, at least, no, at least. No, no, it, a, I remember now. It was training camp. Because he missed basically all of training camp, and then he tried to come back for week one, re-aggravated yeah. it, and missed like gotcha. five or six weeks of the regular and, season. And I'm I'm being an asshole because it's it's hot. It's, it's hot abnormally shit. hot for this time of year. Well, and good, like you said, he's running track. And the good yeah. news is Corey's been through this, so I mean Corey can kind of give That's him good tips point. of hey, here's what you need to do to get a little bit faster. Here's what didn't work for me, or and stuff like that. And we also have a whole new training staff too, yeah. which no, no, nothing about Waterson or anything. I love Waterson, but you never know this. This could be totally different. And we have that nutritionist in house, so you know, yeah. you know, he's probably getting shoved bananas up his ass by that woman. You, you now, love that nutritionist. Do you, do you, do you <laughs> pop the banana in your ass? Okay, here's. I'm gonna lay Someone out. Pops it for you. I'm gonna lay out the three keys to success from Mr. Lebowski, who has absolutely no problems with his hamstrings, but I eat very effectively, and by effectively, I mean literally anything that's in front of me. Rule number one. It is never, ever too early to get a Baja Blast from Taco Bell. That's the true. only thing that's ever preventing you is, is Taco Bell open on your way to training camp. So get the saltiest, nastiest meal in your body and then wash it down with a Cheesy cool Baja Gordita Blast. crunches. Absolutely. All that sodium combined with the sugar in the Baja Blast is going to make those hammies just release and flow nicely. Rule number two, red meat eaten in absolute exuberance. Okay, so I'm talking two or three ribeyes a night. As much as you can handle, preferably medium rare. Get a good tomahawk. Zach actually there. has a great recipe for soaking onions in some kind of heavy cream yep. and spices. It's absolutely to fucking die for. If you want to eat that for lunch, possibly in between plays, I really recommend that too. Rule number three, people are going to tell you to drink pickle juice and eat bananas. I cannot stress this enough. Pickle juice and bananas sounds absolutely disgusting. Why would you do that? I think Sonic has a pickle slushy that we have yet to try. I, they, but they probably have taking it off the menu it's, it's, we've been talking about this for a year and a half none they, of us ever went and got it i, I doubt it even exists tired anymore. of waiting on us so don't <laughs> drink pickle juice I, I really think that you just need to put a firm band-aid on the back of your hamstring that band-aid is gonna just pr- put enough pressure on the skin to make that hamstring feel a lot better well they have those like tight tape things that you can put on there i don't even get those athletic the tape, KT tape the yeah. I, I i've, heard, that's, I've heard that shit's bullshit it has to be it looks like bullshit <laughs> I mean, it looks like bullshit the first time i saw it was a wrestler uh cesaro he was wearing it and he came back from this big shoulder injury and he's wearing it and i'm looking at him i go oh what does that do Oh, I almost forgot. Copious amounts of compound butter on your steaks. Mm. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Right. You, and you, you salt it and then you salt it again. You want as much complex, disgusting fats as possible in your body. It helps lubricate uh, the hamstring to yeah. move better. Rub a little bit of butter on the hamstring before you put the band-aid Possibly, over Possibly. But yeah. then you might get wild dogs chasing you at practice. I hear that that's a problem in North Nashville. Um, all right. So we're going to move on from AJ. Please don't take my advice on hamstrings. That's absolutely disgusting. Sounded, Except are, the ribeyes part. They're not disgusting. You just may not be great you are a you. doctor so i yeah. am a doctor 
I, I don't know from where and wh- who gave me a doctor. That's an absolute war crime. They shouldn't have done that. So new Titans offensive coordinator, Arthur Brown Arthur went on Smith. Did I say Arthur Brown? You did, I huh? typed Arthur Brown. That's the uh, worst fucking part here. Well, AJ it, Brown. It's too name, many of them. AJ Brown's name is Arthur. So there is an Arthur Brown. What's we the just J talked about him for? I don't know. Janoris. Janoris. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Je- Jeff. <clears throat> Mike's just up here making up Jim. shit. I'm, I'm, I made it up. Arthur Jim. So what am I trying to say here? Because I said Arthur I, Smith. I, I, what, why in the world did I talk? Okay, we're going to move on. So <laughs> new Titans offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith. Yes. Went on the white hot new podcast, Bussin' with the Boys. So hot right now. It's so hot right now. Uh, I've got to admit, I haven't listened to this episode yet, but all I've been hearing from group chats and everybody else that it's a phenomenal interview. What do you think, Zach? Uh, I watched the YouTube clip uh, today just to kind of get a refresher. Um, I I really enjoyed it. Uh, I wish I would have got a little bit more on the YouTube clip other than what we got. Uh, but I hear that they are going full episodes on YouTube here soon, so uh, okay. that's gonna be awesome. Yeah, that'll be really good. Uh, one of the th- my big takeaway was that he saw Matt Lafleur cleaning out his office, and he was like instantly going and sitting and waiting on Mike Vrabel to come to his yeah. office, like. that was really interesting for a few reasons one he really wanted that offensive coordinator job and in like he's like i'm gonna sit here until someone comes in uh until vrabel comes in two why didn't he go to j-rob like why why vrabel first well i think that's chain of command thing you think it is yeah he wouldn't have wanted to go above vrabel's head yeah because i mean it's ultimately vrabel's staff so vrabel makes that call and I think, but, but I mean, like he said, I was looking at Lafleur putting stuff in his box to you know to go to Green Bay and everything, and uh, it was I guess that Sunday or Monday. It may have been Monday morning when Lafleur was cleaning it out because he took the job on a Sunday, if memory recalls. I think. Yeah, I think that's right. And um, he uh, he's he's just going into Vrabel's office as soon as he sees. He says like. Good luck, Matt, or blah, blah, blah. And then he goes and just sits and waits for Vrabel. He sat in Vrabel's office? Yeah, either in it or right outside it. Did, does he go into how long he sat there? Uh, no, he didn't really mention it. He said it felt like a while, but yeah. I thought it was I thought it was awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's really cool. It's, you know, obviously dedication and, and really wanting it, which is good. Obviously, you want a right. guy that is, you know, pretty damn excited to get this position. Um, I like that. Have you ever had it? You ever had a job where you're asking for a raise or a promotion? You've gone and sat in your boss's office. And you've already asked to be in there, right? Five minutes into sitting there, you're like, oh, I shouldn't be in here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. I didn't, forget it. <laughs> I, one of the things in one of the things I picked up on, I thought he was super relaxed, like with Luan and Compton, which is really cool. Like, in Luan and Compton, like the whole setup. It's a very relaxed feel. I think they do a good job of making everybody feel yes. comfortable. Um, which, I mean, they're really good at, at doing this, and I, they both could have careers in you know TV or media if they want after their playing careers are over. But um, Smith sounded super relaxed. He sounded very you know confident. Um, you could tell that Lawan really likes him, uh, and you get that sense from every player that talks about. Arthur Smith, I think, is is how much they really like him. And it's not just lip service. Like, everyone's going to say they like their boss. But sure. you can kind of tell in the way that they talk about him or the way that they might go out of their way to talk about him, whether it's, you know, hey, do you like your boss? Yes. And don't... Like, and, or, and, 
and I don't mean to interrupt you here. Do you get the feeling, just as a side note, this is complete bullshit and conjecture, but that don't you have a different feeling going into this season with Arthur Smith and LaFleur of just the kind of vibe that the players really, truly like this guy and buy yeah. into him? Ooh, that that's a good question. I, I don't I don't think so. I, yeah. I think I had we all had I mean, LaFleur fever. Right, right. I I I had LaFleur fleet fever. There there's no doubt about it. And I and not I mean, I love Arthur Smith, don't get me wrong. But the expectations I had going into last year was just totally different than the outcome. This year I kind of have realistic expectations, but they're still I'm still excited for the season, but I'm no I'm honestly I'm probably nowhere near as excited as based just on the coaches. Now the the players kind of make me do get me more pumped up about uh Arthur Smith than they ever did about LaFleur. So I, I see that point. But I think from a fan perspective, I gotta be honest with myself here, is that I was LaFleur really just shit on shit on my dreams all regular season because I had such high expectations yeah. for but, him. And I and I will say I had high expectations for him, but I do remember going back that I I was very tired of hearing the conversation of LaFleur could be a head coach candidate. And sure enough, it it ended up going that way. Look, best of luck to LaFleur, but I don't know. And, and it's recency bias for sure. But hearing Arthur Smith Smith talk <laughs> that <laughs> I, I really I don't know. It feels more comfortable and laissez-faire going into this season for me other than thinking if LaFleur lasts two years here I, I would be surprised I, by that I, I'll and and to build off the, the the question that you had asked uh I think the players are more excited for Smith than they are for LaFleur I think I think that because they're genuinely happy for the sure. guy yeah I think that has a lot to do with it he's been there for six years a lot of them have grown up or been in the NFL at the same time he was, I, I kind of think that, I mean, they're extremely happy for him. And I, I, you know, I also think that he's a definite better interview as far as just talking to the, uh, the press, talking to the media than LaFleur was. LaFleur Fleur was kind of boring. I yeah. think Arthur Smith's got some, he's got some gravitas. He's He's magnetic. Ar- Arthur Smith has a lot more uh, assertiveness in the way yeah. he talks. Like LaFleur always was very, he was soft spoken. And that's why, you know, his name popped up when we were talking head coaches before Vrabel got hired. Yeah. And I, you know, I I did this whole thing, you know, I had watched like John Filippo, who I was, I was obsessed with. And I watched some of like LaFleur's interviews. I watched Wilkes interviews, stuff like that, press conferences. And I, I thought immediately then that LaFleur didn't have the presence to be a head coach. And, you know, maybe it, maybe that's overrating what that means. But I felt like as someone who just was watching him, didn't know him personally, I wasn't drawn to him as like someone that I, I'm like, okay, yeah, this guy, th- this guy is someone I want to follow into you know battle, like you know to make a a poor metaphor of Arthur and Vrabel football. are like two peas in the same pod in, in my book as far as their presence. Yeah, I, I think they are just so much alike, and I think it really bo- bodes well for being able to hold up. If you're the offensive coordinator and you have a head coach telling you what you need to do, I'm. I was a little bit more. Let's go back to that uh, the Luke Stalker play and the um, 
uh, Taewon Taylor in the end zones London game. I I feel like if Vrabel was the one calling that play, and let's say that he was in this instance, Lafleur is of course going to go with it because I don't feel like he's much of a challenger. I think Arthur Smith, on the flip side, in those situations, if Vrabel's the one calling the play, he'd probably be like, "Uh, come on, come on, Mikey V." I don't know about this one, Mikey V. Mikey V. <laughs> I I do think the fact that he's been there since 2011 gives him a lot of pull, like, especially with the core guys, the guys that have been around for a while, the Luans, the the Walkers, uh, Mariota. You know, those guys have got relationships with him already, and Lafleur was trying to build those relationships at this time last year. So I do think they are going to be way ahead of the game in every aspect this year. I mean, not only is it not a new system, it's not a new coaching staff. It's not a new voice that they're having to learn. It's not a new relationship they're having to build. So I think there's so much good about promoting Arthur Smith that, you know, I'm hoping pans out now. Of course, I mean, we've, we've talked about it. If he doesn't turn out to be a good play caller, all of this stuff is just nice, fluffy, right. yeah. fluffy stuff. But I mean, if he turns out to be a good play caller and there's nothing saying that he won't or will, you know, we just don't know until you see somebody do it. You know, I think everything else on the board is sounding and trending really positive um, for Arthur Smith being a, a good, good. Well, I mean, let's see. Camp starts soon and, uh, you know, we'll just see where they build from there. Uh, again, Bustin' with the Boys, very good podcast. Look it up on Google. Not hard to find. Very unique name. If you haven't checked it out yet, I mean, they've, they've definitely got some good content on there. Uh, gentlemen, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get to uh, Bobby Peters and his uh, new book. Today, we are joined by Bobby Peters, author of the 2018 Tennessee Titans Passing Index. This book is a case study on last year's Titans passing attack under now Green Bay head coach Matt LaFleur. The book can be found on Amazon. Bobby, uh, how are we doing today? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. No, listen, we're glad to have you. Um, very excited to have this conversation. I'm going to turn the majority of this conversation over to Mike. Uh, we've got Mike Herndon here with uh, Music City Miracles. So, uh, Mike, go ahead and take it away. Yeah. So, Bobby, uh, I came across you via Twitter. Um, you had posted something about uh, the Titans passing attack uh, a couple weeks ago, I think. And um I just wanted to ask you a few questions about your background. You're obviously, you know, I've got the book that you wrote here on uh, uh, the Titans passing index and seen that you have done a few other uh, teams passing attacks as well in book form. Um, I just wanted to get some background on you. What what is your experience in football? I saw your uh, your Twitter bio. Alicia is a, a civil engineer, which is actually uh, that's my uh, day job as well. So um thought that was kind of funny. But yeah, just how, how did you get into football and, and uh, uh, starting to profile these passing attacks? So I, I played I played ball in high school um, and then I always knew I wanted to be a coach. Like I just I enjoyed, uh, you know, I enjoy the mental aspect of the game, the teaching, the understanding, that sort of thing. Um, so when I was done, when I was done playing, I, uh, I went to the University of Wisconsin Platteville and, um, yeah, I played, I played part of my freshman year. And then when I, when I was done, I asked the coaches, I was like, Hey, can I be a student assistant and kind of hang around? They said, sure. So that's how I got my jump into coaching. And then, um, when I graduated and, and started working full time, I, uh, went back to my high school and started coaching, um, coaching there, um, you know, on the side. And then, um, an opportunity came across. A year or two ago to go to jump over to York High School in Elmhurst, Illinois. And I've been there for uh, I was there for last season, and we're just getting started with our June installs now. So um, that's kind of my coaching background. Um, 
I've always enjoyed studying the game, especially at the professional level. Um, so, you know, for years I've been doing tape breakdowns and then, um, you know, a couple of years ago I decided, you know, I got enough info here to make a book and I can, you know, talk about the concepts and, you know, if I organize the data, I can present, you know, efficiency charts. And, you know, I know this is something that if, if it was on the market, I would, I would want to buy and, and have. So I was like, I'm sure there's other people out there that, that would be interested in as well. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, uh, it was something, uh, you know, I, I, I found the play that you'd broke down on Twitter and I was like, man, this is exactly the kind of content that, you know, we're always looking for, you know, I, I do some tape breakdown stuff for music city miracles as well. And so I, I think there's based on my feedback, I think there's a real thirst for this kind of information in the market just because it, you know, people want to know more about football and, and this, you know, more you know, the more you enjoy the game. In my opinion, I think it's uh, it's really great that that you do this. Now, how how do you pick uh, which offenses you're going to break down, um, or do you just go by you know the the offenses that are most interesting to you? So a little a little bit of both. Um, last year in twenty uh, for the twenty seventeen NFL season, I did the Eagles and Rams. Uh, obviously, they were the two most successful ones, and obviously the job Sean McVay did. You know, before I was on that staff, so the job that Sean McVay did turning that, that team around um, was remarkable. I wanted to study that. I and mean, obviously the Eagles, you know, Carson Wentz lit up the league in 2017, so I wanted to study what them, made them efficient. And then this year, I, um, yeah, I live in the, grew up and I currently live in the Chicagoland area. I'm uh, an avid Bears fan, so I thought, you know, with Matt Nagy coming in and, and, you know, a lot of the stuff he did was pretty interesting throughout the season. Um, I did a full breakdown for them, so I did run game and pass team. It's, uh, it's about a 300-page manual that you know, I break I break things down a little bit further in that book. I talk about why things work, why they didn't, and then uh, I decide I, I had film on uh, on the Chargers, so I decided to do a Chargers book too. They do some interesting things, and then um, Matt Lafleur was was an interesting, especially when he got the Packers job. That's what kind of kicked me into into gear and wanting to study him. Um, you know, with his background with Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, I wanted to see what he's pulled from those guys, and obviously he coached in college as well just kind of see what, what he's bringing to the table. Yeah. So I'm interested to see what your opinion is. Obviously you're pretty familiar with both McVay and the Shanahan offense and LaFleur while he came from directly from McVay, he spent a lot of time, most the majority of his career coaching under uh, Kyle Shanahan in some form or fashion. Um, so did you see more McVay influence or Shanahan influence, or do you think it was a pretty good blend of the two that uh, he put out on the field last year for the Titans? So it's definitely a blend of the two, and I would say that that Shanahan and McVay systems they're both similar. Sure. Um, they both focus on different things, however, um, and I would say a majority of of Lafleur's stuff is is more based on what Kyle Shanahan does. But there is still you see you see flashes like where they go. Like one example would be uh, where they go a couple times. I think it was maybe four or five times throughout the season. They they use a tempo package and lined up in a con, a condensed set. Uh, three receivers on one side, two on the other. One of them could have been a running back in the backfield. And they ran a concept called stick spacing. And that was a concept from my Rams study where the Rams were five for five on that concept, 100% conversion rate uh, on third down in 2017. So um, LaFleur brought that up. I don't really see Shanahan jump into that too often. And uh, it, so that, that was something that he brought over specifically. And that was something that the Titans had a lot of success with too, according to uh, the, the numbers that you've got in this book here. I think they were – um, I wanted to say that one was one of the ones that had one of the higher success rates. Like the, the all curls. Yeah. Um, so the, 
concept that you broke down on Twitter that initially kind of caught my attention um, was the pool shallow concept that you mentioned um, that they had like a, a 56 percent conversion percentage on third downs. Um, can you run us through a little bit of what that concept is? That's something that we noticed in the preseason they were going to quite a bit um, and it, it really did carry throughout the season. So um, could you talk a little bit about that that pr- play in particular? Yeah, so I know I know they called it pull shallow back uh, when LaFleur was with Shanahan in Atlanta. I'm not sure if he still calls it that. Um, in my book, I have it labeled at, on page 30. It's labeled at, and it's also the cover image as well. So you'll see that image on Amazon uh, for reference. It's, uh, it's uh, in the book, it's labeled bunch, shallow, bang, dig. So the uh, the play, I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it's definitely, so this is an example of his system being more rooted in, in the stuff he picked up from Shanahan because I, in the, the couple of years of McVay tape that I've gone through, I've never seen him run this concept. And this concept is something that Kyle Shanahan still runs to this day. Um, the concept in and of itself, it, it, it's a perfect reason why the system makes a lot of sense in today's modern NFL. Um, the concept works off of one of their base concepts, um, the, the different ways they can run the choice route, and it takes advantage of linebackers jumping that, and it brings a dig route in behind him. And, um, yeah, they ran they ran the concept ten times on third down in 2018, and the Titans converted. I think it was either 50 or 56 percent. Um, I, I can't I can't put the exact figure on that one, but um, the, the concept was very efficient. And I mean, defenses were worried about that choice route from the number three receiver in the bunch, and the dig route was more often than not was open. Yeah, so and a lot of that concept, you know, to me is about getting spacing especially against like a zone in the middle of the field getting getting that middle linebacker that's kind of playing that hook curl area of the field getting him kind of teased in a couple different directions and then running that dig in behind it right exactly yeah the shallow the shallow pulled the inside linebacker and that uh that kind of quasi choice route from the number three receiver um occupies that that outside backer and Another thing, like you mentioned, it's great against zone because it pulls, you know, it, cre- it literally pulls a window open for for the uh, for the dig route. But it also works well against uh, match coverages, which are typical responses from defenses to bunch formations uh, in today's NFL. That uh, the outside receiver in the bunch, you know, running his dig route because he's in a tight split, defenses aren't going to play him with inside leverage. They're going to give him the inside. They're worried about all that space between him and the sideline. So the corner will flip, and you can see this on the film clip that I posted on Twitter is that, that receiver will always get outside leverage. So against any sort of man coverage, he's going to have his route one before the ball hits the snap. And that, that brings up another point that I wanted to touch on. I know Titans fans and in a general conversation within like the Titans, you know, I guess media slash fan boards, whatever you want to call it. Uh, since we've had Mariota on the, on the team here is, a comparison against what he did in college under Chip Kelly with kind of the, the power spread offense versus what they have tried to get him to do here. Obviously his rookie year in the first part of his second year, um, or no, I guess it was just his rookie year. He, he was under Wisenhunt and Wisenhunt ran a little bit more of a spread out offense, but then we transitioned into malarkey. Uh, and Rubisky, who were a lot more condensed. And then, of course, LaFleur was a lot of condensed as well. Um, do you see the condensed 
offense being a hindrance to a, a quarterback like Marcus Mariota, or do you think they should put him in a little bit more spread to give him, you know, a, a little bit cleaner reads um, from the snap? And that's an interesting topic, and um, they definitely they used a good amount of they definitely used a good amount of condensed formations. Um, it's an interesting topic just from a theoretical football standpoint, right? So. Mm-hmm. When you talk condensed formations, why are you calling them? You're calling them because you want to create natural free releases for your receivers. You want to free them up. It, it, using condensed formations kind of masks the uh, the lack of stardom in a receiving core. Um, so that that's that's one of the major benefits. And then like you like you alluded to with the spread offense. Okay, you got defenses that you know if they're going to commit a lot of guys to the box and to, to support the running game. You're going to want to spread them out with a bunch of receivers to, to kind of you know make guys declare whether they're box players or or, uh, or perimeter players. So each 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 side of that coin has different things that you want to do. And the Titans definitely, I mean, they used a bunch of RPOs and uh, and stuff out of out of spread sets as well. So they they definitely use both. But I mean, I mean, unless Marcus Mariota just has this mental block against condensed formations, um, I, I definitely wouldn't jump to that conclusion that that condensed formations would be. Um, something that would that would hinder him, um, and I, you know, when I look at the Titans' receiving core, they they don't have a ton of, you know, pro bowlers or all pros there either. So I would think condensed formations um, would be able would, would help those guys win one on one matchups more than they would out of spread sets. But uh, on the whole, I mean, it's good to use both. You you need to be multiple in the past game, um, and I think on, I mean there were definitely a lot of concepts that that Mariota did well with out of bunch sets like the. Uh, uh, that, that that concept we just discussed, the, uh, the shallow bank dig, um, H post was another condensed concept that they'd run through a two man surface. Uh, yeah, there's a few other examples too, like in their in their play action game um, on on the, some of their uh, play action rollouts, on on some of their bang digs and slow routes out of uh, just you know under center play action out of condensed sets. They were really efficient with that stuff on uh, first and second down. So it's um, I guess it just, it depends on, on what you're trying to do, what you're trying to call, and how you're trying to attack a defense. With Mariota heading into his fifth year and final year of his rookie deal, obviously a lot of the attention here is about what's going to happen with him. Is he finally going to break through and become the franchise quarterback that obviously they hoped he would be when they took him second overall? Or are they going to be looking for a new quarterback uh, in the near future? So, I wanted to get your thoughts. Obviously, there's a little bit of an extenuating circumstance with the nerve injury and the other injuries that kind of were accumulated with Mariota over the course of the year. Um, and we have no clue how healthy he was for big chunks of the season. But just from what you saw on tape, what did you see from him? What did you like? What did you dislike? Kind of where do you fall as an outsider outside of the uh, Titans bubble? Um, like you said, you know, definitely, uh, definitely from an outside perspective. Um, is, is where I'm coming from on this, but I've always been a fan of Marcus Mariota and his game. Um, you know, he, he's, he's mobile. He's mobile enough. He, uh, he can handle anything in the drop back game. He's a very accurate passer. Um, he seems to be a good teammate, and he has the he seems to have the mental acumen to, to handle a lot of these things. Um, like you said, the in, injuries make it tough. You know, when you miss time at the quarterback position, it's you, know, especially in a new offense, it's not it's not ideal. Um, you, you know, just going through the film, there was. Uh, a pretty stark difference, you know, obviously I'm not sure how the staff fared out, but um, a pretty stark difference just from, you know, watching the tape when Mariota was in to when Gabbert was in. I mean, I could, you know, 
I would need more than two camps to count the number of times that where Gabbert missed wide open receivers <laughs> on certain concepts. I'm sure you guys know that better than I do. Oh, absolutely. Um, but there was definitely a stark difference on Taven. Um, you know, from, a, from an outside perspective, I, I've always been a fan of Mariota, but the, I mean, the NFL is a tough business. You know, if, if you've been hurt more often than not, and, you know, it, it's one of those things that teams, you know, they have to say when they're deciding whether to move on from a player or not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, going back, the, the Titans are moving, obviously, you know, LaFleur moved on to the Green Bay job. And the only change that was the only change on the Titans entire coaching staff from uh, Mike Vrabel's first year to going into his second year. They promoted Arthur Smith from tight ends coach to offensive coordinator. He's a first time play caller, but he's been with the Titans since 2011 and has coached under four head coaches now here. Um, so obviously he's he's doing something to kind of re-earn positions under new regimes and he has a lot of experience under different offenses kind of like we touched on uh you know he he's under mike munchak and uh chris palmer uh he was under um ken wisenhunt he was under malarkey and rubisky and now under Vrabel and lafleur so he's seen a lot of different systems which concepts do you think he should bring back from 2018 which ones would you scrap would you Kind of, it sounds like he's going to keep most of the offense, at least the bones intact. But um, are there spots that you think they could focus more on uh, in the passing attack in 2019 to kind of help Mark, Marcus Mariota out? Yeah, so, you know, the concepts we touched on already the, uh, that pull shallow, um, H post is another good example. Um, there's, uh, you know, I'm just flipping through the, uh, the efficiency charts real quick here. Um, I mean, in, in general, especially on early down, play, play action, three-level crossing routes were pretty effective. I think um, they called them six, six different variations uh, for the average about 21 yards per play on those. Um, different ways to run dig routes out of play action, like out of those condensed sets. Like I called, uh, in my book, I refer to them as bang dig routes, but uh, bang dig is just a term I use to refer to a, a shorter dig route. Typical dig routes in the NFL are about, uh, you know, it's 15 to 18 yards, but these bang digs are usually like eight to 12. You know, they're, mm-hmm. try, they're meant to try to, you know, just kind of fill that space behind linebackers jumping either on play action or, or, uh, or shorter routes. Um, those were generally effective. Um, I mean, just going through the book, like you mentioned earlier, the all curl concept, that was a very efficient third down call for them. They converted 83%. Of that, and that's a concept that uh, I've, in, in a few different teams I've studied, you know, the Eagles last year. And then, you know, I, I've, I've, been a pretty avid student of Kyle Shanahan's systems going back to his 2015 Atlanta days. And it seems year in and year out that concept is, is, is efficient. So that's definitely something that, you know, I carry over. But, you know, as far as what they're going to carry over, I mean, it's all it's all personal preference. I'm sure, I'm sure they'll keep stuff that Mariota liked from the previous year. Um, and, you know, going forward, I'm sure the new offensive coordinator will add his twist. Uh, at his twist and different things he's liked from the past. I mean, it's all, it's all a matter of what they're comfortable with calling and teaching too. You know, if there's a concept that, that LaFleur ran and, and, and he's not terribly comfortable with teaching it, they're, they're going to scrap it because, you know, it, they can't be accountable for, for how it's run on the field. Sure. So, um, it's definitely, and it's, it's a, it's, it's a week, it's a week to week thing too, based on game plans and based on what defenses are, are trying to do to react to it. You know, they've got uh, 16 games of LaFleur's offense on tape. So, you know, you know, how are, how are things going to react, you know, week one, two, and three, um, you know, to an identical system. You just don't know how, how things are going to react. And, sure. you know, the, the offense changes as the year goes on, too. You know, you, you know, studying studying the 2018 Titans pass game, it didn't look 
you know, the week three version didn't look the same as the week 14 version too. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Um, one concept that I, I thought was pretty successful for the Titans. Uh, I call it a Yankee concept. I think you called it a uh, play, play action cross. Um, that seemed to be a source for a lot of their big explosive plays during the season, especially late kind of as Taewon Taylor came on and, and the Jets game and, and a few uh, games late in the season. Um, take us through that concept a little bit. What I know that's a staple of both LaFour and uh, McVeigh and Shanahan that kind of is from that whole tree. Um, but take us through a little bit of that and, and what makes that play so effective. So those guys that you mentioned previously, and obviously were four in 2017. Um, and this is actually going back to uh, Mariota's uh, Oregon days. They used to call this, Chip Kelly used to call this play Saints. Uh, okay. And then when he got to the Eagles, it's funny, you, you look at, uh, I'm not sure if it was a McVeigh, uh, a McVeigh, I don't know, I'm not sure what they called it when, if he, if he even called it, but I know Jay Groot, they call it, uh, they call it Eagles over there. And I, I think, Kyle Shanahan called it Eagles as well because of Chip Kelly when he brought it to Eagles. But um, uh, that's beside the point on that. But it's a concept that you know that those guys marry really well with their run game, and as well as their drop back pass concepts. So these concepts will look like uh, run action, and then they're also meant to look like a different pass action. So like the linebackers, their heads are spinning like uh, on page. Uh, for anybody who's get who's purchasing the book. Uh, take note and remember to look on page 89, the top diagram on that on that page. That that one shows a variation where typically they'll run a flood route to the other side of the field, but um, they they created a like the loose Yankee concept coming back the other way. So linebackers after the play fake, they're going to turn and run to the quarterback's right, but the the offense is flooding three receivers to the left, so it, it fits perfectly with other stuff that they run. What was your uh, thoughts on Corey Davis? He's another guy that is often discussed here, and there seems to be a split among those that, that follow the Titans between guys that, that think he is putting it together and becoming a guy that could get into the d- discussion to be a top 10 uh, NFL wide receiver. And then there's others that just don't think he's very good and think he should have produced more in this offense, despite kind of the surrounding uh, issues um, with the passing game. What are your thoughts on Corey Davis and, uh, and what, what, what do you see for him moving forward? So specifically for Corey Davis, um, I, I don't, I don't recall paying uh, super close attention to him specifically during the film breakdown, but uh, in general, um, yeah, the, the Titans passing, no, no, nobody really jumped out to me as a guy that can consistently win, or at least on the film, didn't consistently win one-on-one matchups. And in an offense, if you have a guy that can do that, especially in a Kyle Shanahan offense, I mean, just look what Julio Jones did in 2015 and 2016 with, with Kyle Shanahan there. I mean, that changes the game for everybody else. I mean, um, you know, if you don't have a guy that can do that, now you have to rely on bunch sets more to create those free releases um, to kind of, manufacture leverage for, for guys. But, um, you know, get, going back to your original question, I, I don't no, – no no Titans receiver or tight end really jumped out to me as a guy that really consistently won one-on-one matchups. And, you know, you could, you know, give that guy a big payday in the offseason. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, so one more, one more question for you. I know you uh, 
cover the Bears pretty closely. Uh, you said you did a deep dive on them. Matt Nagy uh, did some pretty amazing things with Mitchell Trubisky, who, you know, depending on who you ask, uh, a lot of people think he's a relatively limited um quarterback what did he do for Trubisky that really allowed him to make the leap in year two and I've always thought Trubisky and Mariota are at least similar ish in skill set is any of that stuff that you know the Titans could borrow uh to to help Mariota similarly so going through going through the Bears book um I had a ton of fun going through what Nagy what Nagy does I mean his offense and he does a little bit of everything he, uh, he'll RPO you a million different ways. He'll run traditional West Coast drop-back pass concepts. He'll run, um, you know, more modest five-step stuff. Um, play action, he won't delve into as much as the uh, the Shanahan guys will. Um, but he, he does plenty in the screen game as well. And one thing that I just absolutely – one of my favorite things I studied this offseason was the way Matt Nagy packaged his HD read concepts. So it's, it's a choice route, similar to the Titans' choice route. Um it's actually the cover image from our Bears book. And that was their, one of their base pass calls. And based on how defenses would respond to it, you know, say, you know, Tariq Cohen is just killing them on this concept. You know, they, they had a myriad of adjustments, maybe five or six uh, different ways they could uh, counter a defensive counter to that concept. And um, the way the way Nagy navigated that throughout the season was something that, um, you know, that, that I certainly enjoyed studying him. But as far as Trubisky goes, I mean, he, you know, a play like that, like, okay, you're kind of simplifying things for, for him slightly by, by saying, okay, you got your HB read route. If you got two high safeties and you got single coverage on Tariq Cohen, I'm giving him an option route. He's going to win based on his leverage. He's a better athlete than most nickel defenders and most linebackers. Um, and then off of that, once, if, if he gets double teamed, now Nagy's got a, a progression built off of that for, for his quarterback. And I think designing an offense like that, creating progression reads for your quarterbacks, I mean, Nate, Matt Nagy talked about in his press conferences. He's got a, a bunch of he's got pure progression reads. He's got split field progression reads. Like there's there's different ways you can get to that. And um, and then too, even when in games where Mitch struggled, uh, week 14 against the Rams jumped out to me. Um, Mitch was struggling. I think he had three interceptions in the first half. So what did Nagy do? He went back to some simple RPOs, um, moved the ball down the field in the third quarter, and and, and score a crucial touchdown there. Um, so they simplified things for, for Mitch in that sense, and they gave him basically kind of like a one-man read, you know, whether to hand it off or throw a slant behind a, behind a linebacker. And, um, you know, you just, just, you know, kind of managing, you know, his play. If, if he was struggling, adapting things to kind of simplify. And if he was playing well, um, like week four against Tampa Bay, he was playing real well. So Nagy dialed up about five or six different shot plays down the field, and based on the, the coverage, uh, Tampa was playing a ton of cover one robber in that game. And, um, Nate, he took advantage uh, by taking his matchups downfield and, and running some double moves. They really gashed Tampa that, that game. That was another fun aspect of breaking up that film was the Tampa game. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely things that Nagy did that, that helped Trubisky. Because um, there were times he struggled. There were certain concepts he struggled with, um, and there were concepts he did real well with. So I think it, it's going to be real interesting, you know, as a Bears fan and as an observer of Nagy going into year two, um, I, I kind of set an arbitrary uh, an arbitrary point in my head. Okay, week eight is when I'm going to make up my mind on Trubisky. Like, okay, I've got a year under his belt through those first eight games. We should be able to see, okay, did that develop, development carry over to, week, to year two? Because year two in a system, uh, especially something, you know, that, that you know was so fresh to Mitch that, that Matt Nagy brought over, it's something that, um, you know, it's easier to judge a guy based on year two than year one in that system. Hey, Bobby, this is Zach. Uh, 
Let me ask you a question. Who do you have more faith in as a pro going forward to have the better career? Is that going to be Marcus or Mitchell? That's a, that's a, a good question. And I'm not going to necessarily base that answer on, on true ability or true potential. Um, in the NFL, especially playing quarterback, it's, you're so dependent on so many different things. And I see, I see Mitch Trubisky as um, not being, at this point in their careers, not being as injury prone. Um, so he's got that advantage. And he also has Matt Nagy, who's going to be in play. I mean, if the Bears keep winning, he's going to be in place for a long time. So his head coach isn't going anywhere. And, um, you know, like you guys alluded to earlier with uh, the turnover at offensive coordinator and head coach in Tennessee, I mean, that's, that's definitely hurt. Uh, hurt Mariota more than anything else. And until this year, he probably didn't have a, a very quarterback-friendly system in place to kind of help him out, too. So um, just based on circumstances and, and injury and injury history, I would have to say side with Mitch Trubisky on this. All right. Well, listen, thank you very much for uh, joining us today, Bobby. Again, the book is the uh, 2018 Tennessee Titans Passing Index. It can be found on Amazon.com. You can also follow Bobby on Twitter at B underscore Peters 12. Bobby, again, it's been a pleasure for uh, coming on. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. All right. Really appreciate Bobby joining us. Uh, Very good conversation about the book. Again, uh, you can find that on Amazon. Um, And Effers? That's going to do it for us this week. I have one quick thing. Okay. Just mm, real quick. A quick thing. You guys aren't wrestlers. Or, well, well you're not, not wrestlers. Not but you're not wrestlers. Not that you, not that you know of. Or you're not wrestlers. <laughs> what, does he, what does he know, Mike? <laughs> he doesn't. I mean, I don't know. Fuck. Shit. Anyways. You're, you're not wrestling fans. Uh, go ahead. But uh, a, couple weeks, a couple weeks ago, AEW, All Elite Wrestling, busted out in the scene with their first pay-per-view. And it's a direct competitor to WWE. Uh, Cody Rhodes, D- Dusty Rhodes' son, he's he's president. Him, a bunch of his friends put it together. It was above and beyond better than anything WWE's done probably in two years, two, three years. So it's a legit threat. And then after this legit threat happens, Vince McMahon p- has strung together two weeks worth of the worst fucking shows I've, I've seen in a while. So it hasn't gotten better, and he hasn't learned what people want in AEW. So it brings me back to the AAF and all that. The reason why I think AEW was so good is because they legit got good performers. They got good wrestlers. They got interesting wrestlers and very talented ones. Will there ever be a, 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 a league that can come out like this that will ever compete with the NFL? In our lifetime, will we ever see it? Because we're seeing WWE has had the stranglehold on the wrestling for decades now. If the if college football, if the NCAA model stays the way it is right now, no, no way, because there's no transition from college ball in between that and the NFL well, there, to where you could pull an effective product. Well, there is for the XFL, right? Isn't that the big thing? The XFL is allowing straight out of high school, straight out of high school. Okay. Straight out of high school, which, which will make it more interesting. But the, the the problem, let's look at what hamstrung the, uh, a, uh, besides it probably looking like it was just a big scam. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's been some weird (laughs) shit coming out. The weird shit with the payroll there at the end, that looks really, really shit. Yeah. 
Like suddenly, like they, they talked about at the beginning of the season, they had enough capital to run for like what three, three or four years. years. Connor Orr wrote a uh, for Sports Illustrated wrote a really good uh, or Monday morning quarterback. I don't know, aren't they the same yeah, or something? Yeah, one of them. <laughs> but he wrote yeah. a really really good long form on it, and apparently this guy that came in and saved him was like caught in a pyramid scheme or something at yes. the same time. I mean, it was wow. it was crazy. Yeah. And his intention of buying something, I'm going to butcher this, but his intention of buying the AAF was just to strip it for a couple of products. I don't remember exactly what it was. One of them was something to do with their broadcast anyways, but I, I don't know. My answer is, is if the NCAA model stays the way it is, I just don't see something competing with the NFL at the NFL's level. I'm not saying that two leagues couldn't exist, and I'm not saying that the XFL couldn't coexist alongside it. But if we're talking about a product that's going to be like comparable to it, no, I don't. I don't see it. I, I think the only way that it happens is if they're if the NFL just fucks up in a huge way, like if they somehow end up in a massive concussion lawsuit that like cripples them or something like that. I mean, that it's going to take the NFL falling off, I think, for a competitor to step in because I, I just don't see the NFL is a behemoth. It's the biggest sports league in the U.S. by far. It, you know, there's not even really a close challenger. I mean, NBA, the NBA finals. I mean, they get they draw like the same ratings that like regular season NFL games do. It's insane. So I don't think. I don't think you're going to see a real challenger unless the NFL has something just drastically horrible happen. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, it's going to be really, really hard, especially because the reason AEW is so successful is because they actually, like I said, had good player or good wrestlers. Mm -hmm. What good players are you really going to be able to get to captivate an audience to make money? Because let's let's be honest, the AAF was fun, but if it had a second season Nobody would really care, to be honest with you. I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, you, there's only so much I can get hyped for Logan Woodside and uh, hey, now, Louise Perez. You leave Logan Woodside out of this. And Trent Richardson <laughs> one-yard touchdowns, you know. It's just, it, it was never going to make it really because mainly star power. Yeah. Right. But, and what, and if you're, if you're in a situation where a player ends up in some kind of free agency model there and they're holding out because they know an NFL team will pick them up. They're not going to want to go play in the AAF or the XFL or something because they get injured for playing in a game that they're making like $30,000. Right. Whereas if they had just held out for a couple more months, they would have gotten picked up by a team and the league minimum in the NFL is so much more, not to mention you could just end up right back in the system. I, that's why I just, I see it hard, you know, I really just don't see something competing with the NFL on the same you'd, level. You'd need like a a benefactor with like ridiculously massive amounts of liquid assets because one way I could see them trying to do that would be to lure players away from the NFL by doing some of the stuff like the the players want, you know, guaranteed contracts, no drug tests for marijuana or what you know, whatever. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. If you gave them some of those things, but you would have to have enough money to offer competitive salaries, which is going to take a lot to get a star player to like to, to really pull away like a quarterback, someone that's going to make a splash. You're going to need like, you know, $80 million just for that dude. And, and, how hard and how many teams can you really float that with no, right off that's the start? A, you know, that's a good point. And even if you do pull that off, and this is where I'm talking out of my ass a little bit. 
is there going to be consideration from players where they look at and say, I could take a little bit less money and pay and play for, you know, I don't know the Carolina Panthers versus I could take a little bit more money, but go live in like Memphis yeah. and play in a very shitty venue. Yeah, I mean that that's got to play a little bit into it, right? No Probably doubt, not yeah. much if you really are dedicated to playing the game and you want to get in. But if you've got players on the bubble that are trying to decide between the NFL and whatever the new league is, I got to think you're looking at the situation of I'm going to go play in some rat asshole stadium in Birmingham versus. It doesn't matter like what city you're living in besides Buffalo, that garbage heap <laughs> that you're looking oh, at their setup and yeah. thank you or Jacksonville. But even Jacksonville's got a big stadium. They're going to be on national TV. Park. They've got a pool you can pee in. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I got to think some of them are looking at like, oh, my God, I don't want to go play at Birmingham. Oh, absolutely. Um, all right. Is that going to do it for us? I think we're good. Okay. Effers. It's been fun. As always, please rate, subscribe, and leave us a damn comment. Like, that's all we want, yeah. is if you leave us a review, just just give us a damn comment. Of course, you can find us on Twitter at FWordsPod. For Zach Lyons, Mike Miracles, I'm your host, Mr. Lebowski, and you have just been effed. Now go do something productive. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Go outside and cut the grass. Listen to me, goddammit. Get off the shed. Get have off you, the shed. Have you seen the weeds in that garden out there? Son of a bitch. Lazy millennials. <laughs>